0: Father, we thank you for these words, and perhaps they're lost, or they seem outdated, or things that were too familiar, and we've forgotten their meaning, but we pray that this evening we would recover something of who we are, and who you are. Amen. Um, I chose this, uh, these verses and this sort of topic about working out God's will, because I think it might be helpful for us as a church. I think some of the things in the events of the last 12 months or even three years, if you like, have been quite unsettling for a number of people. On top of that, we, are, um, we have lost a number of boys and girls. They've gone home, promoted to glory, as they say. But that has a knock-on effect too. That can knock our confidence. It can uh, challenge the way we think about things. And I think sometimes it's good for us as what is nicknamed a sandwich demographic uh, to think about some of how, how life is it's only when your children well it may only be when your children leave home but you're actually forced to think about what parenting actually was or is or could be still it's quite a challenging time some of you uh, I'm, st- I'm just heading into that little bracket I'm not 50 yet thank you very much uh, but I'm not, I'm not, thank you, <laughs> touche, uh, but I'm not, and I'm just heading into that bracket, you know, one of ours has left home, making their way in the world, uh, and at the same time, my folks, uh, my father is not a well man, and Catherine lost her things here about years ago, so, we, you know, we're just in that, but I know for a lot of us, there are lots of these things here about, make you sort of lose sense of perhaps who we are, because we're running around at both ends, And and where is God in all of this, and what do we do? So my hope is that we find something a little bit helpful here um, out of what might be called working out the will of God, but actually might be uh, better known working out who we are. And that's important. So I thought about these, these, given uh, uh, this little reading, it's quite helpful to think about those pressures of responsibility and decision-making. I don't know how you make decisions. Some of you might have complex decision trees. Some of you might flip a coin. Some of you might use your best guess. Some of you might use the path of least resistance. They're all different things that we do according to the circumstances. But sometimes we have to say being a Christian should make a difference in some of this stuff. And if we're a Christian, I think we um, we have to sort of profess a few things that are true, don't we? Uh, We accept that God is divine and sovereign. He's above us, he's beyond us, and yet he rules. And everything happens under his rule. That's a complicated thing to get used to, isn't it? And sometimes it works out well and things look good, and other times things are bad and confusing or difficult, and we find we're, not unsu- we're no longer sure. Wholly other than us about why some things happen. We also know that God is wholly other than us being holy, and yet we also hold that God called Adam thou. That in the middle of all of this, he has a regard for who we are. These Genesis stories establish those things quite clearly. And we are, after all, the pinnacle of his creation. When he saw what he had made, he saw that we were we were very good in comparison to the rest of creation. So there's an important things. And the other thing is that he exercises his will in the world. And I think sometimes that's where we can get agitated or or, or confused. Sometimes his will is clear and it's been revealed. Jesus appeared to people and declared that God's will, and I'll come to that uh, later. And into Paul, when Paul was sort of looking a little bit worried about some of his ministry and how it might take shape, and I think it's in Ephesus, Paul uh, Paul hears God say, don't be afraid, I have many people in this city. Sometimes God's will is revealed. He chooses to share with people what he intends to do. And as we follow Abraham in the mornings, we'll find out that God invites Abraham into his plans. Shall I tell Abraham what I'm doing? It's really important to hold on to that sometimes. Sometimes, though, his will is will or not. And frankly, we don't know what it's about until it happens. And even then, we might be guessing about whether that was God's will or not. But sometimes we don't know what the outcomes will be. Those are the most difficult things, aren't they, about being Christian, because we find ourselves contemplating, well, if. And if is probably the enemy of faith, isn't it? Because faith is, I will do this, I will step forward, not quite knowing, but we tend to work on the basis of, well, if. And that's an important thing to address and acknowledge. And sometimes, even more confusingly, God allows things that we would really rather not happen to happen his permissive will. I, want, I don't want to get into the heavy theology of that, but sometimes stuff happens that we don't like and we don't want to happen, and yet even then he can use the, those scenarios to bring people back to him. And you think about Job, who says to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not evil? Sometimes there are things going on and he has the wisdom to say, God is at work in this, I just don't get it. And that's really important to hold on to that. We can't second-guess it. And sometimes he allows those things to happen in order that people turn to him. We talked about blessing and cursing in the morning service a couple of weeks ago. But God said he would curse those who disdained Abraham. He would he would he would not be kind to them so that they take their lives and turn back. But he would draw them close to him. So the will of God is, quite frankly, a bit complex, quite a bit difficult. and We're not going to solve that tonight. Are we agreed on that, I hope? Good, OK, because it's a multifarious thing with stuff going on that we won't get. But we also acknowledge that we live in it and that we live within it. And so we're not always able to work out the warp and weft of how it's leading us. To try to uh, to try to second guess what God's plans would be would be, quite frankly, Uh, what's the business term paralysis by analysis you would never do anything because you wouldn't know what the outcomes would be likewise it would be lovely to be super spiritual and just do what god wanted but i'm not sure that's different i remember an ordinand that we were training with and in the common room one day proudly announced that he had decided only to do what god told him to do to which we said what are you going to do the other 97 percent of the week you know, we can we can allow ourselves to sort of fall into several traps, don't we? Because we can fall and we can become automatons and we've been given freedom and we've all been given different gifts. And so we're in this situation where how are we going to use our initiative and gifts unless we feel released to do so? And, and, and if we were just waiting for God to tell us all the time, then we would um, we would um, struggle, I think, and not much may happen. We wouldn't act for a time for God to say when we should or could. If we, if we were waiting all the time for God to say something, we wouldn't act as we should or could. I love the story of Abram, God appears several times. But that's over an enormous lifetime. You know, it's, it's only a few occasions in 20, 30, 40 years. So it's quite an important thing to hold on to sometimes. Sometimes as well, let's be honest, we would hide our own disobedience behind saying, well, God hasn't told me to, so I'm not going to we would tuck ourselves behind it and use it like a little shield to say, I don't really feel like getting involved in this because the Holy Spirit hasn't nudged me yet. I don't know what size boots the Holy Spirit wears, but sometimes a kick in the pants might be the right thing. And sometimes if we want to grow, as Richard was saying this morning, we have to step into the unknown. We want to grow in faith and see that God has been faithful so far then surely he will be faithful to some extent, you know, if I go down this route. Trusting that God hasn't um, abandoned us to our own devices, but in- encourages us into our choices, into some of these things. Um, some of the PCC will know this, but uh, I went to a church last a couple of years ago to talk about how they, how they envisioned their growth as a church. And the vicar, Andrew Bourne, it's Bishop Michael Bourne's son, um, Andrew Bourne said, well, we, have, we live in a, a, a Metro family service in London, uh, um, so we've got some families, and so we set up a 9.30 family service that was heavily based on Disney film clips, movie clips, fun, entertaining, light touch. And he said, and we've got a lot of students who live in the area, well, they never get up in time for anything, so we're going to lay on a lunchtime service for them. So they have a nice, easygoing sort of service with lunch. And he said, do you know what happened? And I said, I can think I can guess. But the students came for the Disney clips, and the families came for lunch. (laughs) And he said, and I'm not worried about that. That's brilliant, isn't it? We had a rough idea, and God did the rest. The story of creation is God, you know, there was this void, and God filled it. Which is really helpful. So I find I'm encouraged by stories like that. And don't get me wrong, there are times when God is really specific and you must definitely, definitely obey. You must definitely obey. You must, you know, it's the worst of disobedience. But let's allow ourselves some scope as well. Because if God speaks to you, then he's calling you for something. But we can imagine stuff and we can pretend we didn't hear stuff as well. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 3. 10, you know, these seasons and the times, that great little poem, it ends actually with these words here. I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. These are wonderful. He has also set eternity in the human heart. That's what separates us from all the rest of creation. And yet, none of us can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. And that's where we are. And it's good to admit it, and it's good to own it a little bit and say, you know what, I'm in the middle of things. I don't know where they're going, but I know God. I know there's a God who loves and cares for me. And I think sometimes it's good to just allow ourselves into a deeper way of being that isn't all management. I know you, lots of you have worked in management, and I've taught management and all that, blah, blah, blah. But it's good sometimes to allow ourselves a deeper model, a deeper way of being. And so I want to look at these uh, three examples of people that I find interesting and uh, look at some of these verses. And Rob, I've put the um, doohickey down. I'll be back in a sec. Don't record this, but when I was an acolyte in a very high church, we used to, um, I used to have to carry a candle. And one of our little games was to see how, how sharply we could stop behind the choir and how much oh, we could get down the back of their necks. <laughs> Did you record that, Rob? Oh, great. Thank you very much. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, great. Okay, so I just want to think. Now, I, these, this, this, um, this theme was important because uh, at the last um, clergy conference, you were kind enough to pay for me to go to Um, we were talking about um, understanding your calling, understanding your vocation, understanding the will of God in your life. And it was very interesting. They started with this fascinating quote uh, that a quarter of clergy leave the Church of England in their early 50s. And the C of E has no idea where they go. No idea where they are. It's quite fascinating. They sort of just disappear. They find something else to do. And they just melt away somehow into the ether, and the C of e loses sight of them, which is quite odd. And I suppose the thrust of it was that even if you had a strong sense of vocation, God may take you in another direction, or you may spot and learn and see that there were other things to do within which the church structures didn't enable you to sort of function or do it. And you can think lots of missionaries do that sort of stuff. You know, think about that. Anyway, we've talked about three people. We talked about Oscar Romero. Uh, who's a very interesting guy, wasn't he? A very conservative Roman Catholic who was called to martyrdom in the name of liberation theology. I mean, there's a lot of changes going on there. He was very much convicted, convicted that he was doing the right thing where he was as well. God took him away. Completely different environment. Different theology as well, if you think about it. Gave his life for liberation theology. But he had a very strong sense of God's calling uh, then uh, somebody from up north, uh, the Venerable Bede. Now, we, you know, if you've read Bede's history of the English people, it is fascinating. But he didn't leave his own village and monastery for most of his life. And there's no sense in his history or his story that he had a great call. He just loved what he was doing. He applied himself to working out what God was doing. He found local history, it wasn't history then, local events interesting, and started to write it all down. And then shared that with people so that people would sort of do things slightly better than they were doing. But there's no sense in which Bede had a moment where God said, I want you to stay here. And yet he became quite a clearly important Christian in our own history. Third one is um, Ian Paul, who's a sort of obviously a more modern theologian. Now, Ian Paul's quite interesting because he certainly had a sense of God calling him into ministry, that God had a plan for him, but his plan only seemed to take him so far. And he had about 17 different jobs, all within long, or eight churches and theological colleges. And some of them were only sort of a year long or 18 months long. But he, whenever he saw, oh, they're doing something like that over that university, he was like a, you know, straight there, butterfly straight to it. He was following these things around. And then at some party or something, somebody said, the Lord's telling you to write. So at the moment, what he's doing is writing. And he manages to hold intention. these two things about God has called me to do some things, but some of them are my own choice. And some of them are my own interests. And some of them are just for now which is really intriguing. So each of these people had different choices to make, using their gifts in different ways, and some of them were by revelation, some of them were by a word of knowledge, uh, and some of them were just by their own preference about how they best thought they were going to use their time on earth. And I think that's really helpful. But none of us would say any of them had failed. None of us would say that any one of them was loved less by God than any of the others. So we find that working out the will... Of God is richer and deeper than responding to things that we, he may or may not say and and it 's richer and deeper than looking for him to say something when actually you 're in the right place and sometimes it goes beyond that so I wanted to look at this passage I will get there um, if you 've got your bibles open it 's quite interesting, and if you 've got your own it's really um, I encourage you to bring your central um, God calls us to some important central things. He calls us to responsibility, doesn't he? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There's a sense in which he had a responsibility and that means exercising our role in the world, whatever that might be. Adam's given responsibility, he's he's given that thing to do and as part of that, God brings him the animals to give them identity, to name them. And that's exercising his responsibility. He has to make some choices. He sifts things. He puts things together. He makes connections. He's putting two and two together, literally, before they get in the ark, or years before, really. But whether it's family, work, church, community, anything, we have a role to play. And the first thing here is that, you know, it's, it's his, his. first of all, we've been given some responsibility to play our part in the world, in the church, in our families, in our community, uh, wherever we are. We have a role, and it's important to take that on. Sometimes, I sit on a couple of committees, where well, I'm not entirely sure why I'm there comes up and you go not within the church but wider and and it's only sometimes when a point comes up and you go oh no I know the answer to this like watching university challenge when you get the one question that you know um and and, and you go and that's why you're there because they've turned to you because you're the one who can speak to this you're, you're the one who's got some insight on this particularly if you're on committees that are not church ones what do you think about this well I think the best thing you know And because, of course, your thinking is infused with and enlivened by the possibilities of how God might use something. Your responsibility can take shape in richer and deeper ways than perhaps those of us around us might, uh, others around us might consider. So it's important. And if you're worried about that, think about St. Anthony of Egypt, who spent hundreds of years, it seems, in the desert, just preparing for one meeting. Council of Nicaea, he was the one who established the important truths that we hold to now. So it's important sometimes to just hold on to those things. I'm here for the moment God wants me to be. Secondly, Adam is aware of the possibilities of good and evil. He lives in a space, Eden, in which God has made some provision. You're free to eat from the tree in the garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's got some boundaries to his choices going to be together. Some things are OK, but some things don't. Some things are going to be tempting and difficult. Some decisions that he makes, sadly, will destroy what he enjoys. But he lives. He was set in an environment where there were moral choices, moral consequences to what he was doing. His responsibility had consequences, some of which could be good, some of which could undo things and unravel things. And it's important that he understands that because he can then grasp part of his purpose, and more. Moreover, the richness of living in God's in relationship with God. If you flashed forward to John 5, which is John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, when this crowd appears and Jesus has compassion on them, he decides to test Philip and he says to Philip, what are we going to do? Now what's in that question? Is Philip going to look to his own resources or say, you know what Jesus, I've seen you do some amazing stuff, what are you going to do? But God, Jesus is inviting him into seeing what he would do, but participating at it from the early stage rather than sort of, okay, well, we'll, let's go over it again. But it wouldn't be lovely if our first point of call, our first reference point was, what do you want to do? God, what can you do? Brought into that kind of relationship with him. First, the third thing I want to talk about is, uh, is actually my favorite part. God brought the animals, brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Have you ever thought that God was interested in what you did and how you did it? Have you ever actually wondered that? Have you actually, actually thought, he's interested in how I do stuff? When you are at school, hundreds of years ago, I know, but when you were at school and somebody said, that's really, and you're drawing something, and somebody says to you, that's really good, what did you do? Did you say it's horrible and put your hands over it? Or did you say it's nothing, I don't like it? Or did you declare quite boldly, it's my interpretation of what this should be? Because God is interested in how we do things. And nothing isn't an answer that produces the fruit that he wants to see. There's not a list here, is there, which Adam seems to get right. And God isn't sitting there with a list saying, yep, you've got the giraffe. Yeah, he's, We're not playing Pictionary here. He, you know. And he's, neither is he sitting there saying, I hope he called it a Did That's my favorite word too. God isn't doing that. He's interested to see what he would call them. It's not about discovering sometimes the right answer for every solution, because we can't extrapolate that far. Otherwise, if you think about it, the church's approach to healing would be one of these three things. We would only speak to people to heal them. We would only lay hands on them to heal them. Or we would only spit on people to heal them. Check Matthew's Gospel. Those are the three methods. So it's quite important that we understand that there are ways in which God does stuff which we can't anticipate, but he wants to see us what we would do with it. He's interested. And finally, in this little section, we're to expect a solution. The animals are brought forward for Adam to name, but the story, if you spot it, is bracketed by Adam's own isolation. He's on his own in verse 15, and in the end in verse 20. Uh, Part uh, B, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This process of going through all of these things reveals that the solution is going to be with God in the end. That by making these decisions about these animals belong together, these are pairs of animals, this is what I'm going to call them. All of this categorization, which sounds quite administrative to me, but um, all of this process is actually revealing that God will provide of in the end. And so sometimes it's good for us to have that kind of anticipation with God. The ultimate ultimate problems, the big ones, are in his hands. Because Adam was in God's hands. He was in relationship with him. So what is at stake is the kind of relationship you think you want with God. What's at stake is the kind of relationship that you exhibit and demonstrate to the rest of the world that you have with God. You can have the kind of relationship when he's the schoolmaster with a red pen, or like the people you learned under on the bosses that you may work for, watching to make sure you get it right all the time. Or you can have a relationship with God, because your boss isn't God. God's much richer and deeper than that. In John chapter 6, uh, when Jesus is, is sort of being put on the spot about the things that he's just been doing and talking about what the meaning of this bread and this life, the people who are most concerned in Jewish society to get it right all the time are, trying, are struggling to join in with what Jesus is doing. They're struggling to get this. They're they, they afraid of the liberty that they, uh, that they see in front of them. They're afraid of the freedom that Jesus demonstrates in his relationship with God. Uh, And they use their own words to opt out. They use their own to be God, understanding their own interpretation to say, this isn't for us. You're not one of us. This can't be God. And we can do the same. We use right-sounding ideas, justify a position, especially if we don't know what it looks like. They wanted a map for their spiritual life. But Jesus only offered them a compass, which for us is the Holy Spirit. He's leading us this way. He's leading us that way. He has, he's there to assist us, to be our helper and our companion. So I want to encourage us to remind ourselves that God is infinitely more interested in our relationship with him than we probably are from our point of view. But God loved Adam just like he loves you. And he gave Adam things to do just like he's given you things to do. And they're not the things that he's given me to do. Your things are your things. My things are my things. I can't remember Henry Newman's poem, sorry. God loved Adam. He gave him things to do. He gave him boundaries which he would know and understand would be going too far outside of God's out of relationship with God. But he gave him flexibility about what he had within his hands and power to do. He wanted to see what it would look like, how this world would take shape around Adam, how the world would take shape around us. But he would also be there to catch him when it fell. God still cared for Adam, even when he betrayed him. So if your life decisions this seems complex and, uh, and, and difficult to um, uh, work out, there's stuff going on. Your kids and your parents are going all over the place and you don't know which one to turn to first. Just remember that you're loved by God. He loves you because he's shown you good from evil. He cares about what you do and he's interested in how you do it. He wants you to grow in his likeness. In how you learn doing these things because that's the wisdom that he offers us and he forgives you when you mess up when you turn to him and say i didn't know what I was doing it so wrong but he delights in what works out and he sings over us because his word for us is that he loves us which is how adam was set on the world which is what he has restored to us through jesus christ shall we pray Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to call you Father. To know that we are loved and cared for. To know that you have promised in your word things for us. That you would hold on to us. That you would never let go of us. That you would be with us all the time. And so we pray for ourselves at the moment. We pray for the things that we've got going on. We pray for the families that we are struggling. Pray for the parents that we look after. Pray for those we know and love who are struggling. We pray for those we know and love who are expecting bad news. We lift them before you in this time of quiet. And we ask that you give us wisdom. Because in your word you promise that if we lack wisdom, all we need to do is ask you. So Father, we pray that we would throw ourselves at your feet. Restore us once again. Remind us of your great love and care for us. And as we go out tomorrow, this evening, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'd know your abiding presence with us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. I think it would be good if you wanted.